everybody, it's Joy Foster, founder of Tech Pixies, and I am live today uh, on my own. Can you believe it? I don't usually come and do these podcasts by myself, but uh, today uh, our guests unfortunately couldn't make it, so I am going to go ahead and fly solo. Um, and that's being brave as well, because sometimes I probably hide behind the interviews uh, because they're easier for me to do than fly solo. Let's talk about what's coming up at Tech Pixies because I'm really excited about what's coming up at Tech Pixies. And I want to talk about a little bit about the journey all the way through because, you know, we've grown tremendously in the last year and there's so much, uh, there's so much of a story in the whole thing. So some of you are brand new to Tech Pixies and don't know the history of it. Some of you have been around for a while. Um, so I want to kind of start back in the beginning and I want to go all the way back to when I was a mom of two little children living in Switzerland. And I think this is significant because when I got married, I didn't know if we were gonna get pregnant right away. And so I was um, still looking for jobs and I was in a recruiter's office in Switzerland and I had worked previously in banks and at a consulting firm and so I had a background in that kind of sector which is where people work in Switzerland in the English speaking sector. And so I, had, I was in this recruitment meeting uh, in this headhunting office and I said to them, I said, what are the maternity rights in Switzerland? Because I just didn't know what they were. And the guy, I kid you not, he stood me up and he walked me out of the office and he said, I can no longer help you. And I was just totally shocked because at that point I wasn't pregnant or if I was pregnant, I didn't know that I was pregnant. I had just gotten married. I was, you know, I was thinking about having a family, but I wanted a company that would support me in working and having a family. And uh, I found out in no uncertain terms that they were not going to support me getting a job um, and then uh, to then have children. So that led, that was really tricky. And then it did turn out that I did get pregnant on the honeymoon. And so when two months later I could announce that I was pregnant because you kind of wait till you're three months in, um, no one was hiring me. I mean, I don't know if anyone else has experienced this, but it's very hard to get a job when you're pregnant. So I was really in a quandary, but I also realized that um, I was about to be a mother. And so what I did was I had a nine month period of time where I went and I learned German. And I thought, well, this is great. I'm pregnant. I can't work because no one's going to hire me. Um, and we were fortunate enough at the time that my husband's job was good enough to fund, you know, our lifestyle. Like I could, I didn't have to work. We were in Switzerland. They pay really well in Switzerland. And so I, you know, so I decided, okay, I'm going to learn German. That's what I'm going to do. And so I spent nine months learning how to speak German. Ich kann Deutsch sprechen ein bisschen. And so, you know, now I can speak German a little bit. And, um, and, and what happened to me in that environment where I was learning German was I realized that 99% of the websites in the local area that I lived in were in German only and they weren't in English. It was, we were living in the middle of Switzerland and the middle of Switzerland is, yes, there's four languages in Switzerland. There's French, um, Italian, German, and Romanche. Uh, and in many areas like Zurich and in Geneva, you'll have um, a lot of English-speaking people. In Lucerne, you do as well, but you actually have more German uh, people that live in Lucerne than you have any other nationality. So there were probably, we estimated, like 2,000 people who lived in Lucerne at the time that spoke English. 
And the thing is, is that all the websites in the local area were in German. And here I was about to have a baby. I didn't know where I could find an English speaking pediatrician. I didn't know, I didn't speak enough German to feel comfortable going through the whole baby process in German, full stop, right? I mean, I just learned it. I could say like, hello in German. So to try and have a conversation about my birth plan and all that other stuff in German, it just, I wasn't gonna do it. I couldn't do it. It was too important to me. I had to do it in my own language. So I sought out, you know, a um, English speaking um, OBGYN who, Dr. Sabla, who's amazing. He was one of the first people who donated money to Tech Pixies when we were growing Tech Pixies um, because he believes in, in helping women go back into their careers after having children. So what I noticed was I was like, okay, so where do I sign up for playgroups, right? So where's the playgroup sign up? And in the UK, and I didn't know this, but in the UK, you guys have like NCT groups. And I'd never had a child in America, so I have no idea what they do in America. But I was, I was expecting playgroups. Let me just say that. There were no playgroups, like full stop. You can't look up like Playspiel, which is what it's called. You can't look up Playspiel in Lucerne, and there, there were none. So in Switzerland, traditionally, when, children ha when people have children, they hang out with their parents, their mothers, and they, 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 they stay at home with their children, and they spend a lot of time with their friends. But they don't do playgroups. So I was like, okay, well, this isn't going to work for me, and I need, I need a place to go. Like I need, and so what I started to do was, as I met other women, we had six women in my church at the time who were all pregnant, and I just started inviting them over to my house to do coffee mornings. So I have this picture of like nine buggies outside my house and nine ladies with nine babies sitting on my couch. It was a very crowded couch, um, but we used to all get together. And, um, and that's how we, that's how we did it. So we would, I would just do this coffee morning. I made everybody, um, coffees. I had this latte machine, long story short, when we got married, <laughs> when my husband and I got married, um, he was, or we even engaged, he was really frustrated that I was going to Starbucks every day and spending in Swiss francs, it's like seven francs. He was frustrated that I was spending like seven francs a day on coffee. And so I, he said to me, and this is, I don't know why I agreed to it, but I did. He said to me, if you stop spending money at Starbucks and when you put the money in a pot instead, I will match it and on your birthday, I will buy you a latte machine. Now, looking back on it, I'm thinking, why am I having to earn my birthday present in the first place? But it was, uh, and then he said, and if you break it, if you break the rules and you go to Starbucks, I'm gonna take all the money in the pot and I'm gonna spend it on Tottenham memorabilia and I'm gonna put it all over the flat. So of course, I was very motivated. I love Tottenham. I don't love Tottenham that much. So I was very motivated to make sure that I stopped going to Starbucks, put this money in a pot, and so he bought me this latte machine, which was perfect because all the ladies coming over, they loved my lattes. So I literally would just, and I didn't charge anybody for this. This was just like us hanging out. The problem was it got really popular and you couldn't fit everybody into my house and it became a little bit un, untenable. So then what I did was I, um, I then, I talked to the local church that I was part of and I said, look, can I rent a room? I wanna set up a more professional operation. So they said, sure. And so they gave me, uh, they've charged me money and then I set up a play group. And then that's when I actually literally like created a website and I was like, you know, um, answering people's questions in English. So I was saying like, here's the, here's the people, here's the pediatricians in English. Here's the, um, you know, the, the thing, the activities you can do in English. And there was only one activity you could do in English. And that was my, um, that was my play group. That was the only thing you could do. So we ended up having to run a couple play groups because it was quite popular, but that was my first foray into business. So I charged women and you guys will think it's a lot of money, but in Switzerland, it's not. 
uh, I would have charged 20 francs per playgroup session. I know here it's like two pounds, but I charged 20 francs per playgroup session and what it was an hour and a half and what and they could buy it in blocks so they could buy like six or five or whatever and it included a latte I think it was like unlimited lattes as many as they, as you wanted um, it included I had all the toys so I would bought all the toys um, I organized a half an hour of organized play where I was singing songs and doing things with you know if you did baby massage and we did all this other stuff and then it was like you know an, an hour, a half an hour on either side where the moms could just talk to each other and get some some relief because as you know if you have raised little ones you need that relief right and I I feel so much for women who have had to do the coronavirus with babies because I needed my girlfriends when I was a mom I needed my girlfriends so what came off the back of that was in those conversations they said things like okay I want to have a yoga um, class or I like one of the moms was a yoga teacher she's like I want to launch a yoga business an English yoga business and then another mom said I want to launch a Pilates business and so what I did, and then another mom said, I want to launch a, a ballet business. And so what I did was I just took, I was pretty good at this. I was pretty good at like setting up a website and then getting people to register and then, or, you know, registering people and getting them into the courses. And so I then set up Buggy Fit as well. I don't know if any of you guys know Buggy Fit, um, but Buggy Fit is, uh, is fantastic. It's run by my friend Emma, and she, um, she basically set this up for moms to get started doing a fitness business um, after they'd had babies that they could do flexibly around their kids. But then it became this thing where I was like the person who was the person for everything. So you were coming to me for playgroups. You were coming to me for um, local advice. You were coming to me to get into the Pilates course. You were coming to me to get into the ballet course. You were coming to me to get into the yoga course. You were coming to me for buggy fit. And I just, I suddenly lost like my niche, right? And, and I didn't know it at the time. Um, I, I totally didn't know it at the time. But it was something that... Um, that happened that I, you know, at the time I didn't know what I was doing. I was just, I like to say I'm like a puppet, right? I just kind of do what I'm told. And when I say do what I'm told, a lot of my decisions and a lot of the things that I do in life are based on my faith. So I spend a lot of time um, in, uh, in prayer uh, trying to make decisions about what I should do next. Um, and, uh, and, a lot of times you you know I just tried things and then you just see what happens and but it felt right at the time to create something that created community for people who spoke English and didn't speak German and couldn't get involved in the German stuff and actually it made a lot of sense I had a woman in my church who before she came to that church service she spent six months having not spoken to anyone but her husband because she didn't speak German and she didn't understand the websites and she couldn't like get out and do stuff so I knew there was a purpose for what I was doing. It was all about um, making sure that I was helping people in my local community connect with each other and the local community. And so that's when I started living in Lucerne. And it was a blog, and, it, and obviously we, we had all these products off of it, but the blog was basically there to answer questions for people about the local area. So it was, it was, it was great because I could answer the questions and then that helped me make better services. The blog itself was free, and I want to tell this story because I think this will resonate with some people as well. So I wanted to set up this blog, but there was another business in the area that, that, had, that was an informational website, and they, they had a business model, and it was for sale. So it was a, it was a franchise model. It was for sale. And, uh, and, and she was, what she was, what she had done is she'd figured out a model that made money in her local area, and she wanted other people to launch that in their local areas. 
And I talked to her. I went and I met with her and I said, like, before I launched this big website, let me just see if I can use something that's already created. So I went and I talked to her and I looked at the business model. It was going to cost me 2,000 um, francs to buy the business model. I couldn't change the business model at all. I couldn't do anything with the business model. And I had to put all the information under lock and key, right? So I couldn't release any of the information. And I couldn't, unless someone paid for it. And, and I felt like this is information people need to know because if they come into this neighborhood and they don't speak the language and they're isolated, making them pay me, and it was anywhere from like 500 to 2,000 francs for me to give them information just felt wrong. Like I wanted to help people for free. So that, so I ended up not buying the franchise. Um, because I wanted freedom over what I could do with the information and I also but I knew it was going to take so that the information that she had she built up over years of living there so I knew I was going to have to do that I knew I was going to have to do the hard work and find the information because I wasn't paying to just have the information given to me so so I turned down the offer of the franchise I set up the blog so the blog was a big hit we had a lot of people um, following it it got bigger and bigger and bigger and, uh, but there was no money in it. Um, but what I did use was I used the statistics from the website to then get sponsors for the website. Now, this is another tip for those of you who are in this space, like the online magazine space, which is effectively what we were. Um, we had a, we had a paper magazine and then we had the online magazine. And I was trying to get the, I was trying to elevate the small business owners. And so I wanted to charge them like 120 francs to have a listing in the um in the on the website and in the magazine i then went to co-op at home which is like a big um grocery store and i went to a big bank um which uh, was ubs and i said look i have an offer for you you can be the exclusive bank but it's five thousand francs a year and it was really interesting because i even remember that conversation um with the woman that was at ubs and she's like well i'm not going to give you that much and she's like i'm you know none of the banks will give you that much and I said, you know, well, that's up to you, but I'm, I'm going to go find someone who will give me that much. And in the end, they agreed to it and they became one of our best, um, one of our best supporters. But I worked out that it was easier to get 5,000 francs out of a big company than it was to get 120 francs out of a small company. So I just then doubled down on my efforts to get big companies to support the website where they were going to get custom or, you know, people would customers from our, um, from our lovely community. So that worked out really well. We then had a little bit of a budget. But until I figured that model out, I was doing these play groups and yoga classes and Pilates classes, etc. And it's really funny because in all of these cases where I got these ladies up and running with their businesses, um, there, was a play, there was a point where they said, okay, I'm ready to do my business myself, right? Because they were, they were nervous about setting the business up. I wasn't nervous about it because I'd done it already. So, but then when they felt comfortable with it, they wanted to take it over. And I was like fine, you know, go ahead. It's not a problem. I had like free baby, baby ballet for life. I had yoga for life. I had Pilates for life because I had done all that work for them. So I was in a really good position where it didn't, I was happy that they wanted to take it over and they wanted to grow their businesses. And you know, one of those businesses has really become a very good business in Switzerland. It's a ballet business. And you know, once she had the confidence to like go out on her own, she built a really, really successful business. Um, and she's a you know friend of mine today, and and I really value and admire what she's done. So long story short, uh, and that's the Swiss side of things. Uh, eventually, we got to a position where Tim's job was no longer viable. He was working for Swiss Rowing. He decided he didn't want to work for Swiss Rowing anymore. Swiss Rowing decided that they wanted to go a different direction. So we parted amicably. 
But that meant, what do we do? Do we stay in Switzerland or do we go to the UK? And I think this part of the story is really interesting because I decided to apply for a job because I thought, well, you know, I haven't had a job in a while. Maybe I should go get a job. And I tell this story because I just want you all to know, I know what it's like. Like, I know what it's like to try and get a job that you want, that pays you what you're worth, right? So, so I go, this is such a funny story to tell. So I go, I go to, I go for this job. It's a, it's a six figure job. It's a six figure salary. I even said on the phone, I said, and I promise you living in Lucerne was not making six figures. Like, and I, in fact, I worked for living in Lucerne, my, my website, I worked for that for the, I set the whole thing up and I ran all those play groups. I did all that yoga, all that, everything. I didn't make a dime for five years. I didn't make any money whatsoever. I'd never felt I could pay myself. I always felt it was a community organization. Um, so I, I worked, although I was working full time when the kids were, the kids were sleeping and I even lost um, a big pile of hair on the top of my head. Um, even though that happened to me, like even though I was working massive hours to create this community, I never felt like I could take money out of it for myself. And I want you to listen to that. If you're listening to, if you're doing, if you're doing what I did, if you spent the last year or five years or 10 years or what, however many of your life doing stuff for free because you didn't feel you could charge what you were worth or take what you were worth, I want you to stop that now. <laughs> like, don't do what I did. Um, I wish I had, I wish I had carved a salary out for myself. I wish I had not just spent everything that came in to grow the business. I wish I had taken a little bit for myself and kept growing the business. Because the thing is, is once you take a little bit for yourself, you go, okay, your brain says, I need to make more money. So you figure out how to make more money in order to pay yourself. Same thing happens when you get an employee for the first time. And that was one thing I've never shied away from. When I ran Living in Lucerne, I had a ton of people that worked for me. Now they weren't on salary, but they were on stipend. I, I don't believe in, um, I don't mind volunteering for one-off things or you know an hour or two here or there on a, you know, a week uh, on a regular basis. But when you're asking someone to put 10, 20 hours a week into something every week, you should pay them, right? So I paid them a stipend, I gave them an opportunity, and it was a great, it was a great fit, right? They were getting paid to do something that they loved. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was something. And that's what mattered. There was an exchange of money. And which um, is so important. That exchange of money is so important. And I have learned that over the years, that if you do things for free for people, they don't value what you do. And we, uh, and this ties in really well to the scholarship program we offer at TechPixies, because we have a scholarship program at TechPixies. You can apply for a scholarship. You have to be on universal credit, PIP or ESA, which are government benefits, but you can apply for a scholarship. Um, and, and we will give you a reduced Fee. It's not the. It's not a hundred percent fee. We used to do a free place on our course if you were on Universal Credit, PIP, or ESA. But what I found was that then they never showed up. They never did the work. You have to have an exchange of money in order for someone to see a change in themselves. They have to make the risk to, to invest in you, and you have to accept the money in order to deliver the best service. This was not a lesson I had learned at this point in my career. Right? That was so important. So. I spent five years of my life building up this business that was not really a business, it was a charity. I never took a salary for myself until the very last day when I was leaving country and I, um, I then took a, uh, a 4,000 franc payment and that was basically to recoup all the money that I put in personally over the last five years, you know, where I had 
put extra money in to pay for things or, you know, had made sure that we never ran out of money, right? So I got the money back that I put in, but I never got a single payment for the hours that I worked. And I worked a lot of hours, right? And that's five years of not being employed. That's five years of no pension payments. It's five years of no cash contribution to my family whatsoever, right? And at the time, I was like, I'm serving my community and I love this community and it's such a wonderful place to be and I'm, you know, I'm giving and I'm living out my purpose. And I did feel that, honestly, and I still feel that now. I just, if I could go back to my younger self, I would say, Joy, your time is valuable, you know, and the work you're doing is bringing in money. You should be taking a salary and you should be um, figuring out how to make more money if that's not enough money to cover your expenses. That's what I should have, that's what I wish I had an, a mentor or an advisor then. I didn't know anything about business. You guys, I went to high school, I avoided every business course you could possibly take. Like, if there was an economics course, I did not take it. If there was a business course, I did not take it. Do you wanna know what I wanted to be? I wanted to be a politician. I wanted to work in international relations. I wanted nothing to do with business, nothing to do with economics. And it wasn't until I went to university that I told my professor that I wanted to be in international relations. And, um. Basically, he was like, well, most politicians don't understand economics. So take one economics course for me, please. That'll make me happy. So I did an economics course, fell in love with economics, which is not business, by the way. Economics and business, not the same. Still avoided all business courses whatsoever. Didn't want to do them at all. Had no interest in business. Was not going to be a businesswoman. So here I find myself in Switzerland. I'm working in this kind of charity environment, not taking care of myself personally, financially, but giving a lot to the community. So the crazy, crazy thing is, so then we decide we're going to move or we're, I'm going to go for a job or we're going to move. Same with Tim. He was going for jobs too. We were both trying to find a job that would fund our family and our lifestyle in Switzerland. It's not cheap living in Switzerland. A Coke in Switzerland these days is like nine francs, right? I'm not kidding. So I, I went for this big job at a, at a big educator. So there's a, big, there's a bunch of companies based in Lucerne and I went for this job and on the phone, on the phone, I said, I'm not interested in the job if it's less than six figures. Like if it's less than 100,000, I'm not gonna accept the job so I don't wanna go through the process of interviewing for it if it's less because I knew that if I was the only person who had a job, that's what we needed in the house to, to live in Switzerland. So they said, yeah, no problem. It's, it's, it's that big of a job. It was, it was like head of marketing, all this stuff. Anyway, we go through, I did seven interviews. I did all this stuff. And at the end of the day, they came back to me and they said, we think you're great. We would like to offer you a job for 60,000 francs full time. And you know, I knew the reputation of the country company and I knew full time meant full time and a half. And I said, no, I said, and, and I'm not only no, but like I told you, I wouldn't even go into the interview if it was less than 100. I'm not really under sure, un understanding how it got to this point. Now, the reason this story is significant is because in the middle of all of this, I had an interview as part of this process where I had a child who had an emergency and had a glass shard in her foot. And I couldn't reschedule the interview. They wouldn't reschedule the interview. And I want you to hear this story because if you're applying for jobs, and you do not have flexibility on rescheduling interviews or you don't have flexibility on the conversation or whatever, you're not gonna have flexibility in the job. And I was too worried that if I changed the interview to take care of my child that I wouldn't get the job, right? 
Now, knowing what we know now, knowing that they offered me 40% less than I asked for, and this is after I didn't go with my daughter to get the glass out of her foot, you know, I felt awful. I felt awful. I felt like I was an awful mom, and I felt like, you know, I hadn't been respected or valued in the workplace either. Like, it was a really awful day where I, you know, when I found out about what they were going to offer me, and I had given up taking my child to the doctor to get a glass shard out of her foot. Now, I'm very fortunate. One of my best friends took my daughter. It all worked out. She was fine. Um, but it was very scary to have that going on while I'm sitting in an interview for a job and trying not to be distracted. And I know a lot of you know what that feels like. I wanted to say, there is such a thing as an ideal customer. There is such a thing as an ideal employer. And when we're thinking about our ideal customers and we're thinking about our ideal employers, you've really got to channel that. You've really got to be really clear. Who's my ideal customer, right? And if you're in business, your ideal customer is someone who can pay for your service, right? And there's a big difference between who, you, who can pay you and who you want to help. And maybe if you get to a place where the people who pay you pay you enough that you can then take some of that and put it towards people that can't pay you, that's okay. And that's what I ended up doing with Tech Pixies. What we ended up doing was I ended up offering scholarships and in the beginning, I offered scholarships by reducing my salary. So I didn't take a salary in Tech Pixies for a long time because basically I gave scholarships to people who couldn't afford the course and I didn't have enough money from the other side of the courses to then actually take a salary. So my salary sacrifice was the scholarships. And as we got further and further down, we realized not everyone needs a scholarship, right? And here's what you need to understand. Some people need a scholarship. Some people are up against it. Some people do not have like they, there's there's no money in the bank and they're only on universal credit and there's you know and they've and there's there's lots of reasons for that we have women who've come out of you know they've been raising children with disabilities for a long time a long time and they can't work you can't have a child at home with a disability and work it's very difficult so there's reasons why people are in those situations right what we did have were situations where, and not all the time, but we had situations where I, find, I found out people were asking for scholarships because they didn't value the price of the course. They didn't value the course. And they felt like, well, the price of the course is too high, so I'm going to ask for a scholarship because I don't want to pay the price of the course. But it turns out they had a nice car. They had a nice house. They weren't on universal credit, right? So I had to like really start getting really strict about what, what it meant when we gave a scholarship. And we give a lot. In fact, um, I think this is really important for people to understand. Since we have uh, started, we've given about 25% of our places to people who are on universal credit, PIP, or ESA, right? So, and we mix everybody and no one knows who's on scholarship and who's not, and it's much better that way because you end up having a really beautiful ecosystem of people from all different walks of life and they don't know who's this or that and it's really, really wonderful and beautiful to watch happen. But I think it's really important to understand that if someone doesn't value what you're selling, they're not your ideal customer. They're just not. They're not your ideal customer. And if you know the value of your product and you know what it can do for people, then you charge the price that you know it's worth. And that took me a long time to do as well. So we end up moving from Switzerland to the UK. And when we moved to the UK, a really good friend of my husband's took us out to lunch. And he said, so Joy, what are you gonna do? And I said, I, I don't know, like I'm a little bit at a loss. I don't need to create a charity here because everyone speaks English and I don't need to translate German websites. 
I said, but I do have a lot of experience with building websites. So maybe what I could do, because I built all my friends' websites for their businesses, maybe what I could do is build websites for charities, because I was still stuck on the charity stuff. I loved, what, you know, I felt like if I was working in the charity sector, I was giving back. Um, so I said, maybe I can build websites for charities, and then maybe what I can do is have a, uh, I can have a pipeline of young adults with long-term uh, unemployment uh, difficulties. I can, I can employ them to build the websites. So I can teach them how to build the websites, and then they can build the websites. And that was the birth of Made With Joy. So Made With Joy uh, launched in 2014, and I moved to the UK in 2014. Um, I found a business partner, Ben, Ben Newton, who is amazing. Um, and Ben and I worked together. So I would catch the customers, I would, I would be the salesperson, the marketing person, I would sell the dream of the new website, and then Ben would create the new website. And then Ben oversaw these guys that were coming in through our program who had long-term unemployment difficulties and we were helping them get trained up and gave them jobs. So that was Made With Joy, and that's what Made With Joy uh, you know, stands for and stood for at the time. And it was all about kind of this dual purpose, helping charities get online and helping young people with long-term risk of unemployment. We also ended up working with adults with learning difficulties um, who you know, maybe have had some mental illness in the past and were recovering from that. Um, we built a mental health um, website, so we ended up taking on some of the people that were in their program to help build that website. It was a wonderful, beautiful experience. Now, one thing I did do was I started applying for grants because I found out about grants. And I think I talk about this in my, um, I have an online, I have a free online workshop, which is how I moved my business online. So I worked with Unlimited. Uh, I got a 5,000 pound grant to launch the business that paid for the business cards. It paid for my banner roll-ups. It paid for my website hosting. It got me off the ground. And it was the social enterprise fund because um, I was a social enterprise. I was helping charities and I was employing youth with long-term unemployment risk. That is like the definition of a social enterprise, solving a, uh, solving a problem with a commercial idea. So I was selling the websites to charities and I was funding the salaries that way. It wasn't a charity, it was a sole proprietorship, but it was a social enterprise. And so I ran that for a while. I ran it for a good couple years. And what ended up happening as I was running that system was it was very difficult to get the charities to pay the value of my product, which was this website that was very well built and could be shared on social media and could save a lot of admin time by having forms on it to capture volunteer details, et cetera, et cetera. The, the, the charities we were working with weren't valuing it. They were like, we can't pay what you're asking. And I think at the time we were asking like, 1,000 pounds, but that was too much for the charities we were working with. And again, if I could go back to my younger self and I could say to that younger self, Joy, you want to work with charities, but you need to work with charities that are in this, this revenue stage, right? So I was working with charities that were scraping by, right? And I was trying to help charities who were scraping by get a website up and running to help them get out of scraping by. The problem is, is when you're working with charities that are scraping by, um, they don't they're scraping by for a reason. And I'm not criticizing charities at all, um, but I just wanna point out, when you work with people who are scraping by, they're scraping by for a reason. When you're working with businesses that are scraping by, they're scraping by for a reason. So if you want to get paid, you can't work with people or charities or businesses that are scraping by because they'll never be able to invest in you properly. And I just, I didn't understand any of this. I'm telling this to you guys because holy cow, I mean, I was like, seven years into building these two businesses before I realized that I was trying to help people who couldn't be helped, right? I couldn't help people 
who didn't who didn't value my services right and it was demoralizing for me it was very hard for me and it was very hard for my husband because he saw how hard I was working and he was sitting there going like where's the contribution to the family how many of you have had that discussion with your partner where's where's the money where is your contribution and fair enough why does one person have to be responsible for the finances in your house why why does does it have to default to the male right it doesn't it doesn't have to default to the male it shouldn't default to anybody it should be a shared it should be a shared thing you are in a partnership you should share that responsibility if that's the way you want to set up your household so if you have set up a business and your partner has said to you where's the money for all this hard work i feel you because that's what happened in my house. That's what happened to me. And I love my husband. And I love my husband for pushing me that way. It's not fun to have those conversations. It's not fun to, to admit, yeah, I'm not making any money right now. It's not fun to say, I've just worked for seven years and I have nothing to show for it. I have no money in the bank, even though I've just done, you know, they, I think there's something like 2,000 working hours in a year if you work 40 hours a week. So if I had done seven years of 40 hour a week, which I was doing, I was working when the kids were asleep, I was working from 8 p.m. until 3 a.m. pretty much every single day, and then also hours during the day when they had naps, right? Or when they were in Montessori, I was working. I worked all the time, guys. I worked when, when I wasn't with my kids, I was working, right? And I did that for years. So if you think that that's 2,000 hours a year for seven years, that's 14,000 hours. And if I had been paid $1 for every hour I worked or one pound for every hour I worked or one franc for every power, hour I worked, I would have had at least 14,000 francs contribution. But I didn't. I didn't. And my husband said to me, you've got to, you've got to work out what your hourly rate is. You've got to work it out. And it was zero. I wasn't taking any money so let's just pause here for a second and let's just say that that for me was like okay I'm doing this all wrong I've got to fix this I've got to find a solution I've got to find a way and I looked at made with joy and I said we have some amazing customers and we have some really terrible customers and Ben and I sat down and we looked at our 10 favorite customers and our 10 least favorite customers and we said, what do we love about our 10 favorite customers? And what do we, you know, hate about our 10 worst customers, right? So the 10 best customers never haggled on price. They, ne they always paid us what we were worth. If we went over budget and we informed them, they said, no problem, we'll pay you. They always paid us what we were worth. It was a pleasure to work with them. I had one customer who even gave us like an, an award. Like they, they even gave us like this um, etched out glass, like memorabilia of their club to say thank you because they loved the work we had done for them. Those were our best customers. And that's when Ben and I said, okay, right, we're only going after these customers. We're going to raise our prices. And if people don't want to work with us or can't work with us, that's fine. They can go work with someone else. We want these customers. And that's, that's where we got to. That's where we got to. That's where we got to where we're like, okay, we're not going to do a website for less than 5,000 pounds. And we're only going to work with customers that can pay us and pay us in full and, you know, get what we're trying to do. And in the end, we had a couple wonderful customers off the back of that. And then I really looked at the business model and I kind of thought, you know what? 
this business model is not scalable. It's a perfect business model for one person who wants to run it as a web designer for charities and you know, maybe have an assistant here or there, but it's not a viable business model that you can grow and you know, it's not gonna take care of, you know, it's not, it's not like a job, it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful freelancing opportunity for someone who wants flexible work around their life with you know, some steady customers. Because at that point we had residual income from people who were um, on our books for you know, support. So I sold that business to a tech pixie who is still running it. She has several clients and you know, she's found it tricky but she's also doing it herself and it's, uh, it's not this big operation where we have employees. She has employees and she has multiple people on payroll. It's one person on payroll, it's her, right? And she, that's how she runs the business. And that's what that business was perfect for if you wanted to make it a business, a viable business. And there's a big difference between, you know, uh, a, a, a business that's viable and a business that's not viable and you have to make a decision, am I gonna keep going with it, right? What are my bigger term pictures? So. Then what happened was the, we had a couple young people who worked for us and they did a great job and I had some very interesting conversations with their mothers. And holding back tears, the mothers would say to me things like, I really wish there was a program like this for me. Because they could see the transformation that their children were having, but they wanted that transformation too. And I very distinctly remember those conversations. I have a letter, I have, you know, I was in those conversations. And it made me think, well, hang on, maybe we have a product to help women return to work. And if I'm being totally honest, I didn't have enough confidence in myself to fully launch it, but I knew that we had a product. And so I, and I, and I thought it could be more scalable than the website business. I thought it could be more of what I envisaged. And you guys have to remember, I, I've always wanted something big. I've always wanted lots of employees, lots of team members. I don't call them employees. I've always wanted lots of team members. I've always built businesses where there have been lots of team members. It's always been what I wanted to do. I was never cut out for corporate. I've lasted in corporate various points of my life, six months here, three months there. It, I, it suffocates me. Being in an office in a building downtown 60 hours a week, that suffocates me. I can't see my kids, I can't do the school run, I can't you know, do my running, I can't do the Ironman, I can't do all the things that I love. I, I just, that, I can't do it. So I needed my own business. I knew I needed my own business. I didn't know what I was doing, but over time, I've managed to take the experience that I got from all those different places and move them towards where I wanted to be. The reason I'm sharing this with you now is hopefully, this experience that I'm sharing with you will save you years of anguish and pain, right? Like, I don't want you to go through what I went through. I don't want you to spend five years working for someone for free. I don't want you to, to um, set up a business that has customers that don't pay you properly and you don't have a margin to pay yourself. I don't want you to do that. I really, really, please, I don't want you to do that. That's why I'm telling my story. I don't want you to do that. So then when I got to a place where I thought, okay, maybe I've got an opportunity to help women return to work, change careers, or start a business, and at the time it was just help women return to work, I'm gonna go pick up the phone and I'm gonna call someone and I'm gonna tell them about it. And that's what I did. I, I had contacts from my previous businesses and one of them was a guy named Tony Hart and I said to Tony, I wanna set up a business that helps women return to work. 
And he said, well, you're never going to believe this, but we just got funding through to do exactly that using the internet. Like as long as you're teaching digital skills, we've got funding for that. So I applied for, I applied for money to, to set up a, uh, a business called Tech Pixies. Now, it was a pilot, it was a project, but at least I didn't have to fund it out of my own pocket. And I gave myself a little salary, which I was very proud of, that I gave myself a salary. Now, here's the rub, guys. Here's the rub. When I set up Tech Pixies, I did not have enough confidence in my own skills. And I'm telling this to you too, because if you don't have enough confidence in your own skills, you will feel exactly how I felt. I felt like, okay, I had 16,000 pounds and I had to get this project off the ground. So I had a 5,000 pound budget for my life coach. I had a 5,000 pound budget for um, an external uh, social media trainer. And I had a 5,000 pound budget for um, admin and a 1,000 pound budget for promotion. That was the first 16,000 pounds of Tech Pixies. And we, uh, we had some stipulations on how much we could charge and all that good stuff. Um, so we had a little bit of income coming in from from the students themselves and from the businesses we were working with. It was a very different business model back then. So I hired people to run my program. I was just going to be the go-between. I was just going to be the one that coordinated it all. I was the project manager, right? That was my role, project management. And we released this press release and we said, you know, we've got the money, we're going forward with it. And the people that I had hired to do the social media training, they pulled out and they said, well, we... I don't think they ever thought I was going to actually get the money, but when we did get the money, they pulled out and they said, that's not our bag. Like, we're not going to get involved in that. And so then I was like, oh my gosh. So now I've either, and I said this to them on the phone, I said, you guys, if you pull out, I've got to either run this program myself and become a competitor of yours, or I've got to go find someone else to do it. And that's where I went to go find someone else to do it. And I didn't trust my instincts. I didn't trust myself. I didn't have confidence in myself. And I hired a guy who you know, was the marketing guru, I thought, he told me he was a marketing guru. He also said to me, and this, you guys, this, I love this. He goes, well, my date, my day rate is usually a thousand pounds, but for you, I'll do it for 500. And I just, and I bought it. I bought it all. I bought it all. I never trusted my own abilities. I never thought I could do it. So I hired this guy. He came in, he taught the first X number of sessions. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, he's, he doesn't, he does not know what he's doing. And he, he was very well educated in the marketing world, but it was in traditional marketing. And I was like, he really doesn't get what I know. Like I know stuff he doesn't know. I had to reteach everything he taught. And that was really painful. And that's when I was like, hold on, I know what I'm doing. I can do this. And it wasn't easy. Even then, like coming up with a curriculum, creating a curriculum, that was really hard. I, I didn't do it very well either. Um, I used to just show up and teach uh, off the cuff and I had no lesson plan. I had no video curriculum that you could follow. I had no, um, I had no real like goal apart from I'm going to give all my knowledge in my head to these ladies and see what they do. It was a pilot, right? We had no idea how it was going to work. And I remember the very last session, I remember saying to them, right, ladies, I've just downloaded 11 years of my brain to you, you know, like good luck. And those ladies have gone on to do amazing things, right? And they're doing different things in different capacities, but their lives were changed by that experience in a positive way. And then I decided to 
keep running the program, you know, because part of the deal with the grant was if we, if they gave us the grant, we had to become self-sustaining. So we ran cohort two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, and every time we ran it, we made it better. Every time we ran it, we got feedback, and every time we got the feedback, we said, okay, you know, they were upset about this, or oh, we need to change that, or whatever, and we just applied it. And there's a great book called Atomic Habits, if you haven't read it, and he talks about the 1% improvement rule. And I love the 1% improvement rule because it basically means that instead of trying to make huge sweeping changes, just try and make 1% improvement every day. The compound interest of 1% improvement every day is astronomical. And we, um, we ran our program, uh, the, all 13 of those cohorts face-to-face. -face. I did not believe that the program could go online. Not at all. No way, shape, or form. I had hated every online course I had ever done. And I thought, there's no way this is going online. And when we finished the first course, Helen Moss Black, one of um, the very first students who went through our program, she said to me, Joy, TechFixies Tech 2.0 has to go online. You have to give this to the rest of the world. And I said, no. I said, no way. No way. And it wasn't until that business model, the face-to-face -face business model, became completely unviable that I had to look at moving online. And when I say completely unviable, it's like I can only be in one place at one time. I couldn't be in five locations across the country at the same time. And I was worried about the, um, the quality control if I franchised it. So I thought, you know, like, I, it's just not going to work. So, and I did, a, I did the franchising course twice. And every, in both of those courses, very successful businesses who had franchises advised against doing franchises because they ended up buying back the franchises and um, and owning all, all of the individual locations because of quality control. So and if you've ever watched if you've watched the movie The Founder, which is the book or the movie about McDonald's, you'll see that quality control is an issue with franchises. So I didn't want to franchise it. So I the only option I had was to move it online. Now this is where I had to be really brave ladies because at that point Tech Pixies was running out of money. There is no secret. Like the business model we were running was running out of money. I couldn't, I was about to be in a position where I couldn't pay people. I knew I could pay people up to a certain point and I knew it could cover severance up to a certain point, but I knew we didn't have enough money to keep paying people at the rate we were paying people. So I had to make a really, really big decision. I got really, really ill. I think very ill from the stress for sure. I was very, very stressed out about it. Um, I got ill for nine days. I couldn't get out of bed. I had a chest infection, almost ended up in the hospital and um, I had three choices. I could wrap the business up, be confident and happy that I had helped 100 women return to work uh, or get to have the skills to return to work. At that rate, we had about 84% were returning to work. So 84 of the 100 women that we worked with in the early days, they all went back to work. So I, I felt like I had done something really good for the world and I could just wrap it up. I had no debt at that point um, that I couldn't cover. It was I, I had my financial model, so I knew I could cover any debt I had. I had one small startup loan that I could cover with the revenue from the business. So I could walk away. I could walk away. And that was option one. Just wrap it all up and walk away and go get a real job, right? And if you're an entrepreneur and you run your own business, I promise you, you've been there, you've thought of that, you've said, I could just go get a real job. I could. However, if you're an entrepreneur and you're always thinking, I can go get a real job, you're never fully invested. You're never fully in because you're always thinking, well, I always have, an, I always have a back door, right? So what happened at that point was I, I decided I was I could take a loan to keep the business going or I could take investment and I um, I went and I pitched to an investment panel 
they loved the business, they loved me, and you know, I love to tell the story because Addie, who runs the investment company, she put her hands on my shoulders, she looked at me in the eyes, and she said, Joy, you're amazing, the business is amazing, you need to, to, to go for investment. And then she helped me get ready for investment. And I had to invest in that, guys. I had to pay her to help me to raise investment, right, with the last amount of money that I had. Fortunately, there was um, part of her contract was I could pay the remainder when the balance came in from the investment. So I went and I learned how to raise money. That's a whole new thing, right? And I'm not saying that every business needs to go out and raise money, but I will tell you one of the bonuses of raising money is that you, um, it holds you to a different level. It's a different accountability. Um, and also the money is, is not like taking a loan. Like if I took a loan to keep the business going, I would have had to pay the, the payment plans immediately. Whereas when you take investment, they know that it's a long-term relationship and they know that they're gonna get their money later when the business is uh, scalable and successful. So let me just also preface, if you are looking to raise money, you need a scalable business, right? You don't raise money for a business that's gonna turn over 30,000 or 50,000 a year, which are very viable businesses and wonderful opportunities for women who want to just work on their own flexibly around their families. 50, 30 to 50,000, you can do that. There is no, that you can totally do that. What I'm talking about is if you wanna run a business that's 100,000, a million, two million, whatever, and you know that there's scalability. And when I say 100,000, I mean 100,000 is the start, right? You're, you're thinking it's gonna be a multi-million pound business, right? Dame Stephanie Shirley, that's what she did. She built a multi, multi, multi-million pound business, ended up being a three billion pound business. And she also ended up um, bringing all of her employees along with her. She made 100 women who worked for her millionaires overnight when the company went public, right? That's the kind of company that you take investment for. Tech Pixies to me was scalable. It was scalable. It meant we could really reach women across the whole country. And in fact, at the moment, we're being encouraged to go to the whole world. I'm not ready for that. But it meant that we could, we could scale the business and but in order to scale the business, I needed funds. I needed to build a platform. I needed money for marketing. I needed money for a team. Um, I needed to build in my own salary. So I needed to do all those things. And, uh, and then I, did, I did it. I raised the investment in July of 2018. And we closed the investment round in, um, on, on International Women's Day on, in, July of 2019, or in March of 2019. And I had all the money I needed to get the new program up and running. And that's exactly what we did. Now, I've never, I've never been shy about this. I've always been really honest about my story. Um, but we, we, we didn't do very well. I didn't know how to do an online course. I didn't know how to sell an online course. Um, you know, I just didn't know how, what I didn't know. And I took a series of courses online that helped me do that. So one of them was Digital Course Academy by Amy Porterfield. And she's launching that course again in September or in, in August. So it's a wonderful program. It got me online. It got me, it taught me how to run an online course. It taught me how to build an online course properly, which is a totally, it's not easy to do. So that got me going there. And then I invested in other courses. I invested in a course to learn how to do the Facebook ads. And then I invested in a mastermind where um, they helped me overcome some of the mental blocks I had around spending money on ads or around investing more in this and that. And so that's been a whole series of the journey of, this, of, of, of Tech Pixies. And off the back of all of these decisions, you know, I've made lots and lots of lots of little decisions that have led to big, big, big decisions, you know. 
But really, let's, let's, let's come back to the heart of this. You have to know who you are. You have to know what you're doing with your life. So there's a wonderful book that I'm in the middle of right now. You all know I love books. Um, it's uh, by Paula Ferris. And, uh, and it's called Called Out. And it's about tapping into who you were called to be, right? And whether you're a Christian or not, we all have a purpose on this earth. We all have a reason for being here. And you just have to figure out what that is, right? And that's very hard for some people. And if you listen to the last podcast that I did with Bill Burnett, which is about design your life and design your work life, he talks about approaching life like a designer and just trying things out and seeing how they go. And if I look at what I've done for the last, I guess it's 2020 now, and I started this whole journey back in 2008. So for the last 12 years, if I look at what I've done, I've done that. I've just experimented. I've tried this and I've tried that. And when, you know, and I learned from this and I learned from that. I've got a lot of experience. I've got a lot of experience of of building three different businesses. I've got a lot of experiences of returning to work. I've, I've returned to work two times, you know, once after doing the Olympic archery stuff and once after having children. And I've changed careers 10 times, right? I've sold real estate. I've sold life insurance. I've worked for a, 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 a consulting agency. I've been a teacher, I, like, a, like an actual teacher. Um, I was teaching English. Um, I, have, uh, I have run a coffee shop. I've worked at a church. Like, I've done 10 careers. I've returned to work twice. I've set up three businesses, right? I have so many different, like, different things. But there's a wonderful verse in the Bible that I love, and it's, it's, um, it's actually about a woman, and it's, um, it's about Esther, who uh, ends up saving her, saving her people, the Jewish people that were condemned. Uh, and in the verse, it says, for such a time as this. And you, you realize that in your life, there's all these things that happen to you, all these choices you make, and then they all lead to um, this place where you go, ah, it makes sense. Now I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I, I, love, I love the book Meant for More. It's, a, it's a, a, by a Jewish author. It's a great book. And she says that, you know, we spend all of our time like saying, oh, what? What do, you, what do you want me to be? What's my purpose? Where, where, who, what should I do? And really, it's about saying, I want to do this. Like, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? And then the answer is yes or no, right? And she talks about just doing this exercise of saying, dear God, you know, are you there? And he says, or she says, yeah, I'm here. And then you say, great, I want to have a chat. Do you have time? Of course I've got time. And then you say things like, well, I, want, I need to make a decision about this. Should I do this or should I do that? And then you get an answer. You always get an answer. In your heart, there is always an answer. There's an answer to everything. And, you know, and, and, but you gotta be direct. You gotta ask the question directly. Should I do this or should I do this, right? And if you ask yourself the question, should I work for free for the next 12 years? Guess what the answer is gonna be? No, no, you should not work for free for the next 12 years. We live in a world where you have to buy food with money. You have to pay for petrol with money. You have to pay for your mortgage with money. So should you work for free for 12 years? No, you shouldn't. You should be financially independent. But if you're not financially independent, if you depend on another person, I just want you to be aware of that. Women are financially dependent and women have been financially dependent 
for generations, for millennia, for decades and centuries and millennia. We have been dependent financially. We have been dependent financially. We are dependent financially. And in 2020, that stops. In 2020, women have the tools to return to work, to change careers, to start a business. Women have the digital skill set and the experience and the desire and the environment to become financially independent. And I'm not talking about financially free. Let's be really clear. Financially free is like, I've got all the money in the bank I need. I don't need any more money. Now, there are people who are financially free, for sure. There are women who are financially free. Dame Stephanie Shirley is financially free. She has 150 million pounds in the bank, or at least that's what all the press says. She's financially free. She's sustaining um, charities with that money because she built a business that was successful. She is financially free. I'm talking about financial independence, that you earn money, that you earn money for yourself and you contribute to your family and you can take care of your family expenses and you're not, not making it at the sacrifice of your partner, right? Every woman in the world should have the opportunity to be financially independent. Every woman in the world should have the opportunity to be financially independent. And I did not realize this. I did not realize that that's what Tech Pixies is now about. Tech Pixies and our brand new program that's launching in September, Tech Pixies is about giving women the skills and the confidence to say, I am worthy, I am valuable, I am enough, I can do my thing and I can contribute to my family financially. And my time working for myself or working for someone else is just as valuable as my partner's, is just as valuable as my partner's. Because ladies, if we don't start earning and if we don't start contributing to our families, the partners are always going to say, well, you're not making enough, I have to do this. And trust me, they feel like they have to do it. They feel like they have to work 60 hours a week to take care of their families. That's how they feel. They're not in jobs that they love. They're not doing things that they love. They're doing things that they feel like they have to do because that's what they've been told for generations and decades and millennia and centuries, right? Right. Okay, I feel like I've got to stop now, but I do want to tell you really quickly about the new program and what's happening in September because there's a lot of questions around it and I want to be really super clear. So, first things first, we have free resources on our website. They've been there forever. So if you go to techpixies.com forward slash free resources, you can go and download the free resources to your heart's content and I will never charge you for those things. We have a free option. And if you can't afford our course, you can listen to the podcast. You can download our free options. And I would love it if you would do that because I think that those will start getting you thinking about where you are and where you want to be. Now, we then have a book. Now, if you are an alumni, and if you're a student of ours, if you're an alumni, if you've ever given us money at any point, you are getting the book for free. I'm giving the book to all of you for free partly because the book is a curriculum for the first part of our course and many of you have already invested in that. So you're getting the book, it's free, it's, you know, and I'm not gonna charge you for it. 
Now, if you want, that's the ebook. If you want to buy the, the physical copy, we'll have a link specifically for the alumni to buy a physical copy where it's like you can actually hold it in your hands. And you do have to pay for that because it costs money. Then we have a series of offers that come with the book. So if someone goes to buy the book, it's going to say, hey, do you want to buy our Canva vision board? It goes really well with the book. They can say no, but they have that option. It's also going to offer them um, a small snippet of our big 90-day transformational course, um, which we gave away with our um, free training in April. So uh, you know, it's going to offer that. And you can say no. You can say, no, I don't want to buy that. And then it's going to say, okay, well, if you, you, know, if, if you don't want that, we're going to offer you the branding workshop at a really reduced rate, which, again, someone can say, no, they don't want that. That's called a book funnel. I'm going to be real about this, guys. Ebooks don't make money, okay? Ebooks do not make money. The funnel behind the ebook, and this is marketing, and that's what I teach. I teach social media marketing. The funnel behind the ebook is where you make money. Now, for Tech Pixies, it's not about making money, right? It's about transforming lives. But what we've done is we've created an ebook funnel that if someone decides to buy different things in the book funnel, they are getting started on their journey of transformation. Now, the new program, the new program, which I'm super, super excited about, starts in September. And we will only be pitching the new program in the early days to people who buy our book. So if you don't buy the book, you know, you're, you'll, you, you, it won't be easy to get into the new program, right? So the book is almost like a prerequisite for getting into the bigger program. And any money someone spends in the book funnel, right? A book funnel, someone buys one thing, they get offered other things. Anything they buy in the book funnel then gets applied towards the big program. I'm giving you stuff that I, people would say, don't tell this stuff away. Don't give everybody this stuff. I want you to know how this is going to happen so that nobody's surprised, okay? Nobody's going to be surprised. There's a book, and then there's a bunch of little off, mini offers off the back of the book, and then there'll be the big offer of the course to join us in September. And we do have a place on our website, which is a wait list. So if you want to be informed of when the new program launches, definitely get on the wait list, right? It would be helpful if you bought the book as well, but definitely get on the wait list. So it's techpixies.com forward slash wait list. The book is going to be so awesome, and I'm so excited because it gives everyone an insight into how we work and how our program works and, and what is important. And I can tell you right now, the digital skills are important, but the most important thing is here. It's what's in between your two ears. It's what you believe about yourself. Do you believe you're worthy? Do you believe you are enough? Do you believe you, your time is valuable? Do you believe you're worth it? That's what matters. And so the book's going to teach you how to start thinking about those things. And it's all pulled from our big program. It's all pulled from our big program. It's like a prerequisite to get into the big program. The big program now, the 90-day transformational program, is going to start in September. We're going to be doing a rolling start. So when people discover the book, they then get invited into the program. If they come, great. If they don't come, that's their deal. They can listen to the podcast. They can read the book. But the big program is going to be rolling. You can get in and you can start your 90-day journey at any point. And we're going to have two-week two week cycles of CPD training on each of the social media networks. We're introducing Pinterest. Um, we're going to revamp the strategy section, and it's going to be really awesome. And not only that, but over the next two months, we are doing all of the, we're refilming everything. So you're going to have everything is up to speed, everything's up to date. When we launch in September, it's a whole new program, whole new system. So everyone gets access to the program no matter where they are for 12 months. If once that access, access expires, 
then we have a conversation about your options for continuing to have access. It will all be run out of um, a group where people can learn at their own pace, but within these cycles of two weeks. So we're going to do one week of learning about a network and one week of implementing on a network. One week of learning, one week of implementing, and it's going to cycle like that. So I'm very, very excited about all of this. And I want to thank you all for hanging out with me for an hour. It's a shame that we couldn't do our live interview with our guest. Um, hopefully she's okay. And uh, hopefully we can get her back on the podcast later. Um, but I tell my story, I think, because uh, it's important for you to know that I've not made every decision the right way, but I've made decisions. I've not taken every action the right way, but I've taken action. And I think, uh, I think, if there's, a, I think there's a lot of messages in this live that will help you to make decisions that will move you faster than I did on the my 12, 12 year journey towards knowing your value, knowing your worth, becoming financially independent, and really looking towards who it is you want to become and how you're going to do that. But I would say if you've missed the interview with Bill Burnett, go watch that. He talks about how you design your life and how you design your work life, and he talks about how you, you just take action. You make decisions, you take action. And no decision is the wrong decision. No action is the wrong action. Everything leads to where you're supposed to be going. But you've got to make those decisions. If you, if you freeze out of fear and you're not brave, then that's where you're going to sit. If you change nothing, nothing changes, right? If you change nothing, nothing changes. So I want you all to hopefully take away from this uh, one action or one decision you can make that takes you closer and closer to that bigger vision of who you are and who you want to become. So I want to thank you so, so much for joining me today.